0: Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome worship? That's great. Six of you agree with me. That's wonderful. (laughs) Hopefully all of you would uh, join. But uh, praise the Lord. God is good. Actually, we're going to be talking uh, very much about uh, what was just sung. You know, that there is the crucifixion. We believe in it. We believe that Jesus conquered death. He was raised back to life. There was a resurrection. And he's coming back again, and, and we want to tell the whole story here this morning. For those of you that don't know who I am because you weren't here last week or something like that, I'm the substitute teacher. So so James is, uh, is gone uh, doing some stuff, and uh, I think he's taking a sabbatical and just enjoying things. And then he's doing one of those crazy triathlon things, and uh, so I'm praying for his, you know, both his deliverance, I guess, from whatever that is, and... Uh, and his sanity as well as uh, his, his safety. That's good. Uh, you know, I hope you appreciate your, your worship leader here. Uh, Tim is wonderful in everything that he does. And Jeremy, I'm so thankful for both of them. Yeah. Let me tell you, he does more with five strings than I've ever done with six. So that's, that's just awesome. Uh, well, praise the Lord. It's good to see all of you. You look marvelous, I might say. That's great. Bill, is that your assigned seat? You sat there last week. You paid for it. Okay, that's right. All right, well, keep tithing. Double tithe, and then we'll let you keep it. Um, Again, my name is Matt Thomas. What I'd like to do is walk you through um, maybe a little different perspective than what we normally think of when we think about our salvation. We are drawn to the cross, as we should be drawn to the cross, because Jesus died for us, and without his death on the cross, without the atonement that we have through the blood of Christ, we're hopeless we're lost in sin the original sin that we inherit and uh it's something i didn't want to pass on to my kids but i did and you did with yours and you got it from your parents and we have we're sinners by nature the scripture tells us that and experience tells us that it's the most provable thing empirically uh that we have and is the the sinfulness of humanity and that we needed to be redeemed from it not only for an eternal life with the lord but actually for an abundant life here And do you agree with me on that? That's important. The cross is very, very important. You can't get there. Uh, But just like a a wedding is very important for a marriage, the wedding is not the end of it, right? It's not the end of the story. Uh, Because you finish your education and we celebrate and the kids will be throwing their hats in the air, etc. That doesn't mean, that's not the end. That's the qualifier for what comes next, right? And what we're going to do, and uh, this series that I embarked on last week and we'll Follow up this week for those of you that weren't here. We did talk about uh, kind of a new way of thinking, having a god's eye view, and we and we spoke about some of the most spiritual people in the Bible uh, couldn't run on yesterday's energy or yesterday's wisdom and knowledge. They needed it freshly every day, and I used several godly examples of people that everybody acknowledged they were a prophet or apostle or whatever, but they missed something at some point in time because they weren't uh, focused really on who God was or the will of the Lord, et cetera. They're focused on themselves. Well, this uh, week, I, what I would like to do is I would like to look at one element there. And so I'm going to start um, by uh, taking a look at Jesus' perspective on the cross in the book of Matthew. Uh, we'll begin with Matthew. We'll end with Luke. But, uh, but I think we have a scripture up there, don't we? I think we do. And it's out of, um, it's out of Matthew chapter 16. And let me do, do a little setup for you here. Because it tells us right at the beginning when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, I've had the privilege of taking lots of tour groups and leading tours in Israel. And Caesarea Philippi, there's two Philippis. There's two Caesareas, actually. And, uh, and so it's, a lot of people confuse where they are. This particular one happens to be v- far up north in a place not too far from a, 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 you know, a city called Laish, Up in the old tribe of Dan, up, up in that area. It's up to the north. And Jesus took his people there. and I, So I want to kind of set out what the scenario of what that was. So Jesus had done all of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee up in Nazareth and Canaan and different places. And then he'd gone down to Jerusalem at least four times that we know of. And then, um, and then, of course, two of those we know for certain. He was just a little baby or a little child. But, uh, but he may have gone there as many as t- three or four times as an adult when jesus went down there multiple times um, he was doing a lot of teaching about the coming kingdom that was his focus there as he's preparing to do his last trip which is the one that's coming up which happened to be his last trip and he was crucified there uh, just outside of the city walls in in uh, jerusalem Uh, he takes his disciples the opposite direction so they go far up north instead of south to to uh, jerusalem and he's in Caesarea philippi now the thing that makes that significant is there was it was kind of an eclectic place where people worshipped all kinds of gods, so people from all over the world. It was a it was a pass through area where people could go from ancient Mesopotamia or Persia, uh, the Babylonian Empire, all that. They could go into Rome or Greece. They would go kind of through that general vicinity. If they headed down to Egypt, they would go through that way. So there were all the world's religions were kind of represented there, and so there were all kinds of. Uh, uh, gods and goddesses, and idols and idol worship, and there was some pretty gross stuff. There were sacrifice of children uh, with some of those religions that were taking place in fire that was built there, and then there were also uh, temple prostitution. There was the issue with you know a lot of immorality that would go on in the place. There was a lot of bartering for and an expensive sacrifices to be able to offer at various gradations for whatever the the sin would require. There were Romans, Greek. There were every, every kind of, of, uh, of God, goddess that was there. And Jesus decided to take his disciples there. And then he said these words. It's in that context. Let's just call it Las Vegas, okay? <laughs> Jesus took them to Las Vegas before he took them to Jerusalem. And he said, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's standing in the midst of all of this profanity, if you will. And he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Let's go to the next one. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Let's move to the next. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon answered, you're the Messiah or the Christ, the son of the living God. Let's go to the next one. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by Father in heaven. So at this point in time... Peter happens to be one of those people who's spot on. The demons had already known who he was and proclaimed it as early as Mark chapter 1. They, they knew he was the Holy One of God, the one that was to come and all that. Uh, people are slow adopters, right? Angels get it. Even the demons get it. But uh, people are slow adopters on being able to change whatever their formulaic idea of, of God is. And he said, I tell you, Peter. So Peter got that part right. He said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I have to stop here and just say uh, that the rock he's talking about is not necessarily uh, just Peter, but it's the proclamation of Peter. It's what Peter said. It's not who Peter was. Peter wasn't the rock of all Christianity. We see that uh, in just the coming days from this when he denies Christ and kind of worms his way out of it. So this marvelous confession uh, gives the people who confess that uh, the keys to the kingdom, power to be able to bind and to be able to lose. And he says, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was a Messiah. So he was going to, uh, and there are reasons for that. I'm not going to cover all of that today. Uh, I'll allude to some of it. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples uh, he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Not a good idea, by the way. Uh, don't try this at home. Um, he said, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to him and uh, said, get behind me, Satan. You're, not, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but uh, but merely human concerns, and the reason I had to turn around so much is I've memorized this passage, but in a different version than that, and uh, that's like poison, because every time I quote something in a different version, somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, "That's not what it says." So uh, so I'll just kind of try and leave it there. So uh, the reason I read that entire passage is, is a lot of people stop at the place where where Peter makes the proclamation that he's the Messiah. Uh, that they kind of got that part right, that he's not John the Baptist. He's not Jeremiah. He's not Elijah. He's not one of the prophets. Um, they got that part right. What they what they missed was at that point in time, it says from that time on, Jesus began to tell them. And by that time on, we're in the third year. So he's going to go from there. We're going to follow Jesus from going way up north outside of the conventional places of his ministry, take him away from all other distractions, put him in a world of distractions of these foreign gods, and then he 's going to uh, reveal to him who he really is and uh, and he takes them d- then back uh, down out of that now, in order to do that, he has to let them know what it means for him to be the Messiah and what the implications are for them and so he mentions three components that we saw in there: the three components are these he said. From that time on, he began to tell them, and and it's very important that we understand that it's from that time on. So in other words, this is not the first time, and we're going to see four cases. I hope you have your Bibles or your electronic device or something because not all of it. I just had one scripture put up there that I'm going to be reading uh, several along the way. Um, But in that particular place, he says, from this time on, he began to tell them what must happen to the Son of Man, the one that they just knew. What does it mean that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he mentions three components. You'll see it here, and you'll see it again, and you'll see it again, and you'll see it alluded to again. Um, And those three components are this. There's suffering. The Son of Man will suffer many things at the hands of the teachers of the law, etc. And he mentions that in this passage. It says, will be killed. And here it doesn't mention the manner of killing. It just says that he'd be killed but then again, he'll be raised again on the third day. On the third day, be raised to life. That's exactly the way it says. Are you with me? There's three components. What are they? He, he would suffer. That was important for him to do. He, that's his identification with us. His death, he would be killed. That's his, the sacrifice of his life for us. So his identification with it and raised to death uh, uh, on the third day. And it mentions very explicitly, and I want you to see that because... Uh, it's, it's key to all the passages we'll be looking at. So he said that, and, um, and uh, so the, the end of that story, so to speak, of uh, that sequence, the three things, it's really good news, isn't it? Be raised again on the third life. Uh, uh, and so they got it, right? They, they, they fully understood. No. What's the first words out of Peter's mouth? Never, Lord. Never, Lord. Never what? What did Peter hear? Peter heard the first two components uh, real clearly. He heard the suffer and then be killed. And by the way, I don't even know if they heard the third part at all, because what happens when they've left everything to follow him and all of a sudden he says he's taken out of the picture? Where where does their thinking go? It not only is to the misery of Christ, but the abandonment of them, or as you just said, what are we going to do? <laughs> I, I could read your lips. I'm pretty good at that. But uh, uh, what are we going to do now? And so then they, uh, they try to eliminate the possibility that Jesus is going to, because he'd already talked about that there was going to be a kingdom. He's announced that quite a few times before chapter 16. And he talked about the fact that he was going to lead that kingdom. And so all of a sudden to mention death, I think there was tinnitus ringing in their ears by the time he got to the, uh, the third part on, on the third day be raised to life. And so Jesus did what, you know, I don't think any of us would ever want. He, he alluded to and referred to uh, Peter as Satan. So that's not good, you know. Peter kind of missed the main part of the message, and as a result, even after hearing all the marvelous things, the binding and the loosing and the keys to the kingdom be given to you, et cetera, couldn't hear any of that. Uh, it didn't make any sense, so the message before and after it didn't make any sense so you're thinking well jesus is going to let that they're going to ruminate on that for a while and so he'll talk to them again and so he does take them down so this is where if you have your bibles you can follow along with me but if you don't that's that's fine as well we'll just all notice that you didn't bring yours okay um yeah let's see when they came together this is chapter 17 verse 22 i'm in i'm in, i'm one chapter later By the way, they'd gone up on a mountain. Jesus was transfigured before all of them, and they'd healed a boy. After they went up on Mount Tabor to experience that, they ended up going down into the valley, and they're back down in Galilee. They're getting a little closer to home, so maybe now they can hear the entire message because where are they? They're They're at home now. They don't have all the distractions of these foreign gods and all this other distracting stuff like all of you that just had to watch Tim walk in and sit down and check the number of strings on his guitar. Um, which they're sufficient, but he says, he gathers them together in Galilee, and he said to them in verse 22, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, that's the implied, the suffering part, you're going to see the same three components, he's going to be betrayed, only now we know that the suffering is going to take place on the basis of betrayal, and who betrays? Friends, people that are close, so now we get a little more detail on what the suffering would, uh, how it would uh, come about, Then it says, then he will kill him. It's a generic statement again. He's going to get more specific here. But kill is kill. Murder, slaughter, whatever. He's going to be killed. But then exact same wording, it says, and on the third day be raised to life. Now they're at home. Now they've heard it a second time. They've heard the good news. And so they can focus on the fact that on the third day he'd be raised to life. But when you read the very end of that verse, it says, and the disciples were filled with grief. Still couldn't hear it. Ears were ringing with death, with the cross, with what was going to take place, and the, the peril, the abandonment, all the things that go along with what people think about when they think about, even their, in their own context, their own suffering and their own mortality and uh, their own death. So you'd say, well, certainly they're going to get it if Jesus mentions it a third time. I'll have you turn with me to chapter 20 of, uh, of the same gospel of Matthew. And now Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem. So we know from this point, um, you know, kind of what's taken place along the way. Uh, he's already healed somebody on the way from Jericho, and he's heading up to the city. And so he's going in the, in the direction where everybody's focused. Their eyes are and attention are on the The Passover. They're thinking about the feast. They're thinking about going there. Uh, They do know that there were serious threats. Thomas even said at one point in time, he said, let's go there with him so that we might die also. So uh, Thomas knew the implications of what might happen if they went with Jesus. So Jesus is heading up. So a lot of stuff is buzzing around in their brain, but there's probably a celebration because it's not just the apostles. It's not just 12 people. There are men and women, disciples, many of them that are traveling with them at this particular time. And, uh, and they get close to Jerusalem. As they're heading up to Jerusalem, verse 17 of chapter 20, if you're following along, he took the 12 aside. And that's why we know there are lots of people, because he's just taken his intimates aside. Now, are you with me? There's all these people traveling. I'm going to pull these people away. And he says, now I want you to see the three components, and I want you to see the greater detail. This is the most detail he gives yet of uh, the, the sequence, but you'll see all three pieces in there we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will turn him over to Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. So how much detail is there on the suffering here? Lots, right? There's lots. It's, uh, it's the Jews that are involved. It's the leaders who are involved. It's handing over to Gentiles. It's the mocked and flogged. I mean, he gets really explicit here. And then he talks about uh, being specifically uh, taken in the specific manner of death. It says he'd be crucified. Now it's not just that he'll be killed. So he gets a little more detailed. We're getting closer there. I want to brace them for what's going to follow. But you know how he concludes it? He concludes it with a third piece, and he uses the exact same words in that part. On the third day, he will be raised to life. It's verbatim, three times. And so, what comes out of that? They really get that. Well, he's talking about, he's, he's been spending a lot of time talking about kingdom on the way. So, the mother of James and John happens to pull him aside, and this is the reaction. When you come into your kingdom, you know, can my kids have a special seat, a special uh, preference and, and place? Whew. I would believe that the casual conversation among the 12, as they listened to this, they thought, oh no. Why? Because. A, they did it before, but B, now it's explicit, and the part that gets more explicit is gory. There's the crucifixion, the mocking, the flogging, there's all of these parts that are with it, and so they missed that part. Well, we're not done. Oh, no, we're not done. So Jesus gets to Jerusalem. Lots of good things happen. As we know, he's teaching in the in the temple courts. He's confronted by the... the uh, um, by the disciple, by the, the, uh, he's confronted by the Pharisees, uh, and he's uh, taken to task by, and there's the, the Caiaphas and the, and the leaders, the Jewish leaders, were uh, sending out people, guards, to go arrest them and, uh, and look for ways to, be, and a plot to be able to, to identify that. Well, before all that takes place, uh, Jesus prepares an upper room for the disciples. He tells them about, they're going to go on, they're going to find a specific place, and they're going to go before before this, and um, he's going to take all of his disciples together and spend one intimate night there. And so he takes them, and he's going, when he's going to, he's getting ready to um, give them the final instructions. He tells them that, That he's the shepherd is going to be struck and the sheep will be scattered. And then right after he says that, there's an interesting part here. He's alluding to the book of Isaiah where everybody abandons. And he talked about every before the night's over, they will all abandon him. And but he doesn't end there. Again, he's talking about he includes kind of both of those components Because he's already told them he would suffer and he would be killed. And this is a way of him saying he would suffer and he would be killed. But he said, After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And we know that they didn't hear that after I will go ahead of you and I will go to Galilee. And the reason we know it is the whole story changes and pivots on Peter's statement. This time, fortunately, he didn't say never, Lord. Now he's focused on himself, and he says, even though all others abandon you, I won't. And then Jesus comes back and says, what? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me how many times? Three times. They never heard it. I just gave you four examples of Jesus talking about, I'm going to raise, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to be raised on the third day, raised on the third day, raised on the third day, never got it. So what's the problem? Um, There's a marvelous sense of hope that is given to us. I'm sorry I keep adjusting my microphone, but it's not staying on right. I'll do that another day. Um, There's a human tendency to, if if we have a good promise that's given, and the scripture tells us how many of the promises of the Lord has God fulfilled, or will he fulfill? How many of them? All of them. And I know in my life and Marlene's life, I mean, the Lord has fulfilled his promises. They're good. He's gone on record before us and, you know, with other people. And uh, we've had the privilege of laying hands on people and seeing them healed. And can't figure it all out. I remember uh, when June and... And Sharon came up to be prayed for at the altar. They both had pancreatic cancer, which is a death sentence. It's all final stages. And they were both kind of under 100 pounds and whittling away. Came, two women came to the altar at the same time. We laid hands and prayed for their healing on both of them. And and uh, the Lord miraculously healed one. And the other one I did a funeral for in about four weeks. And, you know, I can, I can never figure it out. I don't think you can, but... Uh, I, I would remind us that heaven is not a punishment or a consolation prize. It's actually what Jesus prayed for. My prayer is that they will be with me where I am. Okay? So let's do that. Um. So we've seen the hand of the Lord work a lot, and his promises are very good, whether we fully understand them or have experienced them in the way we particularly want. And I mentioned last week, but we lost a son to cancer, 17-month battle with with cancer, but uh, but even in that, we'd seen the goodness of the Lord. Oh, we grieve. We grieve deeply. Profoundly, you know. I was sitting on an airplane. I might have shared this with this congregation before, but sitting on an airplane, um, and I was. This is back. He, he passed away 14 years ago, when he was 28 years old, and uh, um, I was flipping through, and I saw. His picture on my iPad, I was gonna listen to some music. I was sitting on an airplane, because we fly so much, uh, they give us complimentary upgrades to first class. So I was just getting ready to eat a real meal with real forks and knives, not the plastic sporks, you know, that most of the folks get. I had been working on my computer and I was typing away and the uh, flight attendant came up to me and bent over and said, sir, um, we have pasta and we have chicken. What would you like today? And, uh, And I said, I'll do the chicken please and so she went about doing her thing and I put my computer away pulled my headphones out and decided I'd listen to some music and so I was th- thumbing through my little iPod and I saw my son's picture and what I didn't realize is that he took my iPod and, before he passed away and he put all these songs about heaven with his picture on it because he knew that by the time I would be listening to it he'd be there. Well she had brought my you know, the flight attendant brought my chicken and it's sitting before me. I have my fork in one hand and my knife in the other, and I just got tears streaming down my face. I'm just grieving. Loss of my son. This is about four four months into uh, after having lost him. And the flight attendant came over and saw me and she tapped on my shoulder and I pulled my headphones back. I said yes, and she said, Sir, if you don't like the chicken, we have more pasta. <laughs> Didn't get the full story, okay? No, I said the chicken's fine. Um, so we know what grief is like. But Marlene and I, uh, through all that, and anybody that really listens to the, message Jesus, the full message of Jesus, we know that that suffering and the death thing is not the end, right? I mean, Jesus went to great pains to ensure that he, didn't ever, he never concluded the story with the cross. You can check it out. He talked about the value and the importance of the cross several times. Unless, you know, I'd be lifted up. And he talks about, uh, about the importance of being lifted up on a stake, so to speak. He talks about his death being necessary for them. Um, but if you walk through the Gospel of John, every time you, the cross pops up, you're going to see something about the resurrection. They're all depressed after John 13. And then he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So he, he talks about death in 13, doesn't end there. And then he talks about suffering pretty heavily in chapter 15, but he doesn't end there. He ends up talking about the Holy Spirit coming and things going to be better than ever before. And then when he prays, he doesn't end with talking about the difficulties of the disciples. He says those words that I just uh, shared with you a little bit ago. Uh, my prayer for them, speaking about us, is that they will be with me where I am. Not there where I might have been had I been able to make it through, but where I, where I am at that point in time. Are you with me? Jesus looks right through the cross. The necessity of the cross is like kind of the necessity of the marriage or the necessity of the degree or the necessity of the qualifications for the job, but it's not the job. It's not the marriage. Are, are you with me? It's, it's not the final statement and Jesus was trying to indicate. Uh, you're all lost in sin without the cross, but that's not the end. But most churches we go to, we see the cross. we got it there, 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 and there. I, I know we've got uh, crosses on the outside. It's on your name uh, the name badges of the ones that have it. And I have ample number of crosses. But here's what uh, the Lord started convincing me of a number of years ago. And that is, Jesus never really looked at the cross. He looked past the cross, or he looked through the cross. Um, you know, my, I, I helped my son put in some windows once. And uh, he wanted to put in these great big windows... And I wasn't sure exactly why. I mean, there was a hillside, et cetera, but uh, that he could look at and he could look at sunset. But he wanted to put the, these great big vinyl two-pane windows in, et cetera. I told him I'd help him out. So we went in this room and, uh, and we were working on that. We were getting everything uh, straight and clear and all that. We were shimming things just right before we were gonna put the trim up. And my daughter-in-law went and made some lunch for us and brought the lunch out and uh and after working on that window and looking at that window and looking at the window frame and everything else we sat down to have lunch we we completed our task everything but the trim was on and we sat down and i'm talking with my son and i picked up a sandwich and i we prayed for the meal we i picked up the sandwich and i put it in my mouth and as i was eating the sandwich for the first time i looked through the window and there were some marvelous beautiful birds that were out in the distance and I saw two deer coming down the hill. For the first time, I saw why he put the window there. The first time I'd really looked through the window. And Jesus, when he was talking, he was telling us to look through the cross, look beyond the cross. So I, uh, we've planted several churches, 12 to be exact. And the, I told Marlene when we came back from overseas, I said, I don't want to plant any more churches. And she said, I think the Lord's telling us to. So we did. So, uh, you know and it's it's here in Spokane it's up north it's called Timberview and um so I said yeah but if we're going to plant another church I'm not bouncing around all over the planet anymore I want to stay rooted for about 10 years or more and she said that's fine and we were there 14 years before I uh became a leader in the denomination which it was churches and I now serve um the uh so the church started growing we started with about 15 people and uh, and after year one, we had about one hundred and fifty, and then year two, we had about three hundred and then year four, we had about four hundred and you guys got in there somewhere gary bonnie and then um, and uh, so it started growing and we out, the reason I mentioned numbers is we outgrew our space. our space was a little bigger than this, but not much bigger than this It 'd be really hard to fit four or five hundred people in this facility so we started running two services and then three services, and we came up with the idea we needed to build a new sanctuary and so we built a sanctuary that seats 700 and uh and we had architects and designers in the church by that time we had lots of people who had knowledge and skill i gave them some some just general sketches of churches that have been built in in our denomination scattered around and i said here take this let's form a committee and they said well you're going to be on it aren't you And i said no i don't care they said what do you mean you don't care i said i don't care what color the chairs are i don't care what color the carpet is what color the walls are, how high the ceiling is, I really don't have much, there's only one thing that I would really request, and you'll see that today if you go up to that church, it's up in Mead, and uh, and they said, what's that? And I said, I want six very big windows, very big windows, and they're about 10 feet tall, you'll see them, from about, uh, you know, uh, three feet off the ground to whatever, 13, 14 feet, And I want them really wide because I want life-size crosses in the middle of those windows. And so if you go up there, you're going to see the cross. You're going to see six of them. And I said, and I want clear glass. I want clear glass because I want people to see the cross that saves us. And then I want them to see through that and see people that need the salvation of the Lord that I need to talk to and because I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, I can talk to them. I want them to look at the cross and realize that Jesus Christ not only died for me, but he created, he made the creation. And so the trees that I'm looking at out there, I said, are part of the same blessing of the Lord. And it, and we can only enjoy it because of what? The cross. But I want to look through the cross to be able to see that. I want to be able to see the the billowing clouds on a clear day, not like we've had very much lately here on a clear day i want to see the the skies up above and i want to be reminded of what that god created not only the earth but he created the heavens and i want to think about eternity because of the cross you see the cross is extremely important without it we can't be saved but i don't want to stop there i want to see what happens because of it are you with me well what happens most people, when they look at the cross, all they can see. The cross, it tells us to if anyone would come after me, must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. And all people have a tendency to see, that means tough stuff. But anybody who has denied themselves and taken up the cross and followed Jesus, anybody that's done that for very long realizes, "Oh, there's great stuff down this road. There are promises galore. there's eternity we have opportunity to look forward to. There's abundance in this life. There's the ability to go through the suffering with the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's the wisdom that can only come from God to transform our souls. And that's what the Lord wants us to see. And that's what the angels saw. So the last scripture I'm going to share before we call the worship team up is in, in Luke chapter 24. And uh, if you want to follow me, I'm just going to read the first eight verses. Now, this is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. Um, And there's two people. It it tells us clearly that they're angels in one gospel. And this one, it uses the, the, you know, it uses a different uh, kind of term. But there, it does say two men in clothes gleamed like lightning stood beside them, so we know they're angels. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus, the body of our Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, see, it's, what day is it? It's the third day. Hmm, what could have happened? If only Jesus would have told us. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Who knew the end of the story? The angels, right? What on God's green earth, is the way I would say it, are you guys doing here? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee, and the angels, quote, verbatim, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. What's, what part's that? This suffering. Be crucified. What part's that? The killing. And on the third day be raised again. And they quote verbatim the words of Jesus himself. And, get, and this, is, this is a great, my favorite verse in this episode. Then they remembered his words. Oh, got it. Ayon, That's right, huh? My Philippine brother's there. Okay, that's it. That, okay, now we remember. The first time they remember is not until the actual promise comes, the tomb is empty, and then all of a sudden they could hear his words. Let's not do that, folks. What does it mean to walk by faith? It means to look through the cross and understand that God's got great stuff in store. That there's, a, there's an end to that. I, we had people, after our son passed away, said, you know, you need to go to counseling or something because you're not angry enough at God. <laughs> ah, we're d- deeply sorrowful. We grieve the loss. Even to this day, I trust me, 14 years later, there are moments where I just sit and look at Mitch's picture and cry. Get me, don't get me wrong. We've never been mad at God, the one that gave that wonderful young man to us, the one who who gave him eternity, who gave him a marvelous legacy here, etc. We've got to hear the end of the story. we got to look through that cross and listen to the words of Jesus as Jesus himself, and then the angels repeat, and on the third day, raised to life. And that is not only Jesus, but that's you and me, if we'll we walk by faith. Um, I want you to stand with me if you can. The worship team is going to come forward. And we're going to pray. And if you happen to be one of those people who's just really uh, riveted your attention, well, first off, if you've never given your life by faith to Jesus Christ, do that here this morning. Just say, I'm yours, Lord, and and, and come into my life, uh, forgive my sin, and uh, come and transform me. You can do that quietly on your own. I'm going to pray with you. But if you happen to be one of those Christians, and there's lots of them, because Peter was a Christian, and the 12 were Christians, and yet they, they still ruminated on and focused on and riveted their attention on difficulties. And the reason I know that that's our human tendency, whether we're Christians or not, is because I was a pastor for over 30 years. And I've been in ministry for over 40. And I just know that that's human nature. So if you happen to be one of those people that has a real hard time uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel or the goodness of the Lord in the midst of the difficulty you're going through right now, I want you to pray with me. Let's ask the Lord to open up your eyes so you can see what the angels see. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your goodness to us. Thank you for the privilege that we have uh, to live for you, to serve you, to worship you. And Lord Jesus, as you mentioned again and again, and obviously you know what the outcome would be, that you would mention the crucifixion four times, and yet you would mention the resurrection or imply the resurrection multiple times as well. Lord, I even think in the last in the upper room when you were talking to the disciples uh, we often end our communion services with, with the distri- distribution of this and as often as you do this remembrance of me and we forget those words in Mark's gospel, the 25th verse where he says, and I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it in the coming of the kingdom. And so, Lord, you announced it in such clear ways that you were coming back, you were returning, you were raising, and that was not the end. And for Lord, for every person who's saying, I want what you have to offer, I pray, God, that we would, for those that just want to open their hearts right now and receive you as Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that they would just simply say, Jesus, come in, take over. I give you my life. Lord, for those of us who are going through difficulties now, and I see them on difficulties on the prayer list frequently and there are lots of them and I know they're going to keep coming as long as we live in this flesh Lord I pray that um, we would pray for the deliverance of those things but understand that, that our focus needs to be high above uh, the issues that we deal with way beyond That we look through our cross we look beyond it and we see what you have in store Make us people of joy, people of hope, and people who have a future and can see the future in you. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray.